Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Welcome again, everybody, to Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chairman of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we are always happy to have a recurrent guest here on. So I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Michael Valente, who is a staff surgeon in the Department of Colorectal Surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic. Mike is also our program director for our colorectal fellowship. And Mike also leads what we're going to talk about today. And that's uh, the patients with carcinomatosis and our cytoreductive surgery in HIPEC. Mike, welcome back to Butts and Guts. Thank you, Dr. Steele. It's uh, my absolute pleasure to be back on the program. So, Mike, let's start from a very broad level at first. So, uh, colorectal cancer in general, how big a problem is this? It's a big problem, uh, Dr. Steele. It's the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States of America. Yeah, so this is a big deal, and, I, and it's one of the things I know we've had other people on in terms of butts and guts, just talking about the importance of screening, and just it's one of those things we can catch in an early phase. But so, so Mike, you got colon cancer, you got rectal cancer. We're one long garden hose from our mouths all the way down to our bums, and this can occur in talk a little bit about carcinomatosis today, but how does it, how does it spread? How does it get out of the box and where does it go to? Good question. So colorectal cancer can spread in a couple different ways. Uh, one of the most common ways is what we call lymphatic spread, which goes through the lymph nodes, and that's classically the most common. Uh, it could also spread from the lymph nodes to the blood system, and then it could go to the liver or the lungs. And then another way that colon cancer can spread is directly from the colon into the lining of the of the abdomen called the peritoneum, which is uh, what we would consider someone with carcinomatosis or colon cancer that has spread to the lining of the inner uh, layer of the abdominal cavity. Yeah, so uh, one of the analogies I've always heard is the fact that picture your belly like a trash can and the lining to that trash can, if you put a trash can liner in there, is the peritoneum and you got all your different organs in there. So we're really talking about cancer that is on the inner part of that trash can liner in your peritoneum in that abdominal cavity. And and again, that's something that uh, we're gonna focus in on today. So Mike, fancy word we then call that, we call it carcinomatosis. And, and again, we talk about colorectal cancer, but really what we're talking about in a lot of these different cases is the fact that that cancer cells from the GI tract, including the appendix, which we'll get into a little bit later, can spread in that area. And so uh, we talk a lot about chemotherapy and we talk about giving people chemotherapy, but what is HIPEC, H-I-P-E-C, sure. HIPEC, and why is that different? Sure, uh, HIPEC stands for heated intraperitoneal uh, chemotherapy. Um, HIPEC is very different than what we normally consider chemotherapy. We uh, Normal chemotherapy or systemic chemotherapy is given intravenously through the IV into the bloodstream. Uh, it affects the entire body. Um, heated intraperitoneal chemo therapy is a bit different. It's actually delivered directly into the abdominal cavity at a heated temperature, uh, about 105 to 108 degrees Fahrenheit, 40 to 41 to 42 degrees centigrade. And that chemotherapy bathes the inner lining of the abdominal cavity to directly contact any cancer cells that may be left behind, uh, usually in conjunction with what we call cytoreductive surgery. And we'll get to that. So, you know, the, what's interesting about this whole process is the fact that we talk about a subset of patients that essentially are pretty unique in the fact that they are candidates for this disease. And so you mentioned a couple of topics there, and let's kind of drill down on those. And the first one is, is that 
cytoreductive surgery. What does that mean? So when a patient has cancer cells that are uh, embedded in the lining in the peritoneal cavity on the peritoneum, cytoreductive surgery is the surgical procedure where the surgeon goes in and removes, or another term is debulk, all of the gross disease that we can see with the naked eye. And, and that's a really important process. Um, and then after we debulk all the gross tumor that we can see, the chemotherapy will then potentially take care of all of the things that we can't see, the microscopic uh, cancer cells or even the smallest cells that may not be visible to the naked eye. And, and those two in conjunction have been shown to uh, increase survival in certain types of cancers. So Mike, I wanna make sure our listeners understand mm -hmm. out there. So we're not talking about liver surgery here. Generally speaking, no. Yeah, we're talking about taking those tumor cells that deposit themselves in that peritoneal line and go. So I, I, so I must ask you, how, how common of occurrence is this? And is everybody a candidate that has tumor that's spread to their peritoneum a candidate for this type of surgery? Not everyone's going to be a candidate for this operation, but I will say that there's lots of patients out there that may be a candidate. And um, this technique has been uh, shown to uh, hopefully uh, decrease uh, recurrence rates and increase survival. So to answer the question, not, it's not for everyone. There's a, definitely a very subset of patients that could benefit from this procedure. Yeah, I think some of our patients may be interested to learn that back in 2009, uh, the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute here at the Cleveland Clinic became one of the first centers in the U.S. to receive FDA approval for this form of chemotherapy in selected patients. And so we have a rich history of this right here. So Mike, a lot of different cancers can spread uh, intraperitoneally. So are there some that have a better kind of a way that we can treat with cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC than others? Sure. There's definitely a, a list of tumors that are out there. Um, first and foremost, appendiceal cancers or appendiceal neoplasms. Uh, primary peritoneal cancers such as uh, mesothelioma. Uh, a condition referred to as pseudomyxoma is also one that is very uh, often used for this. Um, also colorectal cancer, as we mentioned, uh, many ovarian cancers, and there are some patients with gastric cancers that can also receive uh, this procedure. Yeah, so some of the patients, there are some of the people out there that have been listening to butts and guts in the past may have heard this as we've talked about some of the various malignancies, but again, there's ones that have been used for in the past, and gastric has been one of the ones that has not had the greatest success, but appendiceal has been one that has been a little bit more. Mike, when we look at the actual tumors themselves, you mentioned a term there that was called pseudomyxoma peritonei. That's a, another fancy word. Well, what is this, and is that one of the better acting players, or is that... Because um, really it's the terminology that is sometimes so confusing. Patients will say to me, I, I went online and I heard something about a low-grade mucinous neoplasm. I, I read something about the pseudomyxoma and I read something about uh, poorly differentiated adenocarcinoma. In the knowledge itself is overwhelming. And can you help kind of kind of put their arms around each of these terms? No, absolutely. And, and it's not just the patients who may have a hard time with the terminology. A lot of surgeons uh, and medical professionals uh, get a bit confused as well because there's so many different terms out there. Now, as we talked about pseudomyxoma peritonei, uh, that's usually caused from uh, appendiceal lesion that may produce this mucin or mucus-like material. And that is actually one of the most common indications for uh, cytoreductive surgery in HIPEC and one of the most successful as well with good long-term success. Sometimes the only treatment that may be needed for those conditions is cytorectal surgery and HIPEC. And really what that is, pseudomyxoma peritonei, is the appendix has now shed or sometimes um, 
uh, ruptured and that mucin or that mucus uh, jelly, as we call it, can embed or implant on the peritoneal lining of the abdominal cavity and other organs. And, and after those implant, then they make more mucus and more mucin and um, that in and itself is not technically an invasive cancer, but it sure acts like one, bowel obstructions, um, other disease processes that can occur. So we treat it like a malignancy, um, and that's one of the most successful ways that we can treat this. So when you have these type of tumors, Mike, is it is the chemotherapy in and of itself something that uh, is it can work if you just leave gross tumor behind? No. the The goal is to get... Uh, what we call a cytoreductive score of zero, meaning that we've re removed all gross tissue that we could possibly see that's uh, involved. And then the chemotherapy is used as an adjunct to kind of clean up anything that may be left behind in terms of metas uh, micrometastatic disease or microscopic disease. So walk me through, I'm a patient out there that uh, knows somebody that uh, has uh, carcinomatosis or potentially was just recently diagnosed with this and they want to come into your office, walk me through what they can expect during that appointment. And then also tell me a little bit about how can you sort out the patients that are good candidates for this type of procedure versus those who aren't a candidate and would be better served by other means? Typically, um, the office visit would consist of me receiving all of their records beforehand, pathology records and any other operations they had to understand what type of tumor they truly have, what, what the pathology is. And usually that requires uh, patients already had mostly CAT scans or maybe PET scans you may have heard of. Those usually are performed after they've been diagnosed. I review all of those with our team. And we have a multidisciplinary team, a cancer group that reviews these on a weekly basis, looks at the films, looks at the pathology, and discusses each patient individually at our cancer conference. So I'll get that information uh, based on their tumor type and depending on what kind of treatment they may have had prior before meeting me or if they are currently on some sort of uh, systemic chemotherapy, uh, we take all those factors in consideration. Uh, so what kind of tumor they have, how much tumor there may be on CAT scans. Um, and and we, the last thing you asked me is you know, who can benefit from it, who can't undergo it. So we look at their personal and physical fitness and ability to undergo this type of operation. All those things in conjunction, we put that together and make a plan for potentially an operation. So when they come into your office, do you have some kind of red flags that jump out that you say, this isn't a good candidate to undergo this procedure? You know, the office visit at first is usually just a big discussion about what's going on, what we can potentially do, and if we are a candidate for surgery. And, and any red flags you mentioned, um, there are certain cancer types that are much more aggressive that, generally speaking, would require chemotherapy uh, through the IV first before we would uh, think about or attempt an operation. And, and those particular patients, um, if we do decide that an operation is best for them, very often we will do what we call a diagnostic laparoscopy where we put a small incision, put a camera in and take a look around to see if we can indeed remove all the tumor deposits. And sometimes about 10, 15% of the time we, we do that procedure and we, we cannot perform the operation because the tumor burden is, is too great and we can't achieve a full reduction. So Mike, give us a look behind the uh, behind the curtain. So tell us a little bit about what you do in the operating room. Um, I think there's one thing I want to just you know tell all the audience members is this is a big operation, uh, but people do quite well with it. And um, in the operating room, we um, make a 
an incision. Um, it's usually a, a large incision to gain access to the full abdominal cavity. Um, this is after we put a camera in and decide that we can proceed. And then at that time, we assess the entire abdominal cavity and see exactly how much disease there truly is. And if we can, in our, in our best minds, remove everything. If we decide that it's probably not in the patient's best interest and we can't remove everything, we'll stop at that time uh, because no benefit will be gained. So during the procedure, depending on the tumor type, location, uh, we'll do our cytoreductive surgery, which includes uh, debulking or stripping, sometimes you may hear it, of the peritoneal lining in some instances. Sometimes other organs may need to be removed, such as the colon, uh, small intestine, sometimes, sometimes the spleen, and then usually those organs may or may not be reconstructed immediately. When the cytoreduction is completed, then we start doing the chemotherapy portion of the procedure. So Mike, just to clarify a little bit more, you were saying that sometimes we have to remove part of the bowel. Uh, do we have to remove all of the bowel or is it just sections of bowel or can you live without your small bowel? Good question. Uh, Answer the last question, you cannot live without your small bowel. So one of the main reasons we may abort a procedure is if there's extensive small bowel or small intestinal uh, disease process there because we can't remove all of that small bowel. Now the colon, um, other organs, we could rut routinely remove them uh, without a problem. And then do people that undergo this surgery, do they have to have a bag or a, otherwise known as a stoma or an ostomy? Yeah, great question. And we get that question all the time. And short answer is maybe. Um, if we are removing parts of the small intestine, not necessarily, but very often uh, parts of the colorectum have to be removed and, and reconstructed. And very often when we give the chemotherapy, the bowels get quite angry and they're inflamed and full of fluid and edema, we call it. And very often we'll make a connection but provide a temporary ostomy or bag for several months just to let those bowels heal uh, so they could get on their way without having a complication. But they don't necessarily have to have a bag. No, they do not. And then complications that can occur with this type of surgery. How, and how long can the patients expect to be in the hospital? Hospitalizations usually range between 7 to 10 days on average, sometimes a little longer. Um, complications uh, historically have been moderate to high in this patient population due to the intensity of the type of operation that we're doing. But with that being said, uh, especially here at the Cleveland Clinic, um, most of our patients do not go to the intensive care unit after the operation. They go to the normal nursing floor. You know, some of the more common complications would be with any operation, uh, bleeding, uh, infection. So wound infections, urinary tract infections, et cetera. So when you talk about what's on the frontier, what's on the horizon for this type of procedure, what in your mind is going to be some of the next things that may come up in terms of evolution for the cytoreductive surgery and for HIPEC? I think for colorectal metastases, there's still a lot of uh, research being done, particularly uh, in this era of looking at, you know, is it more of the actual cytoreductive part that's doing the best, or is it a combination of adding the chemotherapy? So we don't we don't 100% know right now, but I will say, uh, for right now, colorectal metastases to the peritoneal lining would receive cytorectal surgery plus the HIPEC procedure. I think another uh, frontier that's being explored, especially in European countries, is a procedure called PIPEC, P-I-P-E-C, which is um, essentially chemotherapy that's aerosolized, where they put small laparoscopes in and spray the chemotherapy into the abdominal cavity in a much more uh, minimally invasive approach. But those are for more um, advanced tumors as well, maybe ones who couldn't receive I talked about those ones where we had to abort. Maybe those procedures may be beneficial for them, but that's still under FDA. Uh
So again, I think this is something that our patients can know is that it is something that we do offer here and it's something that we try to go out of our way to pick the select patients that will get the benefit from this and putting them at as minimal amount of harm as possible. Mike, that's fantastic stuff. And as you know, we always like to wind up uh, just asking a, a couple of uh, some quick hitters with each of our guests. And since you've been on here before, we got some new ones for you. First of all, do you listen to music in the operating room? And if so, what kind? I absolutely listen to music in the operating room. Uh, it's a combination of classic rock and roll or classical music. And then what's the best trip? What's the best place that you've ever been to on a trip? I just had the best vacation of my life where I took my parents, my three children and my wife to my mom's hometown in northern Italy. And it was just the most wonderful time. Mike, is there a food number three that you just will not eat? No, haven't found it yet. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> and then uh, finally, uh, what's a hidden gem here in the state of Ohio? Some place that you say, you know what? You live here, you come here, this is a place maybe you won't see or hear a lot about, but you should go visit. Yeah, great question. My favorite place in Ohio would be the Hocking Hills State Forest down by Athens, Ohio, where I did my uh, medical school. It's the old man's cave area, just a beautiful array of uh, old glacier formations and sedimentary rock structures, beautiful hiking and uh, waterfalls there. And that's a fantastic thing and a great tip. So for more information about Cleveland Clinic's HIPEC program and to access a free treatment guide, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash HIPEC. That again is H-I-P-E-C. That's clevelandclinic.org slash HIPEC. And to schedule a consultation with a Cleveland Clinic specialist, please call 216-444-7000. That's 216-444-7000. Mike, thanks for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thanks for having me. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.